Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Orman. Today, we're going to continue talking about the woeful Royal season, although they did manage to split a four-game series with the best team in baseball, Tampa Rays. Maybe we should talk about how bad the Rays are. Oh, and our our worry for their well-being, mental mm. well-being. Yes. Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll also um, spend a little time talking about the uh, upcoming MLB draft. Uh, as long as well as the um, just occurred um, NBA draft uh, and a little bit more on the NFL um, at the uh, tail end of today's episode. But we'll start uh, with the Kansas City Royals. I don't know if we should have been excited about the um, split of the with the Rays or um, they were what bookended by losses with the uh, Tigers and tonight, um, the op- series opener with the Indians. Uh, did you did you find the um, two wins with Tampa encouraging, um, or discouraging for the Rays? Did you feel bad for them? Uh, what, <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on the uh, recent Royals' success or lack of success? Yeah, it's it's a little hard to say. Well, we just remind our, our our many 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 viewers that we film on the Tuesday and. Uh, so we uh instead of we but we air on Thursday, Tuesday, very late Tuesday night usually we we film sometimes the early hours of, of Wednesday morning, and then we end up airing on Thursday. But um, so the Royals were I believe two and four in the over the last week for uh since our um last uh production of Warren Trick Power, which is actually which uh, is a three thirty three winning percentage, which is really bad if you have that for the whole season, but it's actually better than what the Royals have been so far. They're like at 280 or something right now. No success. You, yeah, you so this, this has actually been a successful week. Um, they are now comfortably, again, only the second worst team in baseball because the A's, which had rattled off like, seven straight wins at one point, have lost nine out of their last ten now. And so... They did win tonight. They beat the Ooh, Yankees. Okay, in, they beat the Yankees. Okay, so they they ended up winning. Okay, so um, maybe they're still, like, they still have a two game lead then over Oakland, I believe, as of right now. Okay, so that's a little bit. I don't know. You know, we'll talk about the draft. So maybe we don't want them to have the. Uh, although we, as we mentioned last week, if you finish anywhere in the bottom three of the league, you have the same chance at getting the number one overall draft pick. So right. it, you don't have to. Finish worse anymore to get the number one, um, right? Which... And, and even you know, knowing the results that we've seen at least from the past drafts, you know, having the number one pick isn't really um, telling for being even a solid major league player. Yeah, well, we can go through those. Uh, maybe, maybe next week we'll go through some of that because we we we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit in the NBA context. Yeah, later, uh, which seems like it's more of a certainty you're going to get the best player in the NBA, but. Even that hasn't been very certain in the last twenty plus years, right. uh, but for the Royals, I, I guess they're doing a little bit better. They had at one point they won the first two; they won two out of three against the Rays. So they could have possibly, if they had taken three out of four, but the the Rays managed to salvage a series um, a draw with uh, uh, the Royals. And you again the yeah, the, Royal, the Rays still have the best record in baseball, but the the um, Atlanta Braves are catching up in the National League. It was kind of the National League was very much together, um, mm. 
even the worst teams. I think the Cardinals might still be the worst team in uh, the majors. I mean, I mean, in the National League, but um, but they're still, I think, about ten games above where the Royals are. Let's say, oh, the Cardinals are no longer the worst team in the National League. Uh, Rockies have dropped into the bottom. The Rockies have dropped. Oh yeah, the Rockies and the Nationals are kind of in a dead heat right yeah. now for the worst, and they've each won over the uh, thirty or more games. So the Royals are about eight games behind that pace. The Cardinals are thirty-three and forty-five. They're only eight games out of first in the Central. Right. Um, uh, the Reds un- with uh, Eli De La Cruz uh, in uh, in in the lineup now have surged into first place in the Central. Uh, my Pittsburgh Pirates have dropped down to fourth. They kind of crashed to earth. I had bet on the Pirates to, to win more than, I believe, 67 or something like that games, if you have those records. But now they're they, they, they're 36 and 42. They're falling uh, backwards. But um, it's somewhere. Oh, here it is. You had you had the Pirates um, 67 and a half is the uh, over. So more than 67. Okay. Um, 68 wins or more. And I guess they're still, they're still on the pace to do that, I believe. And my, my Red Sox picks looking good. My Pirate, my Tigers under isn't looking quite as good, although the Tigers still could finish under. They're 34 and 44. But um, the Royals over that we both picked, 68 and a half over, I believe, is not looking good at all. And the Royals, despite you know, winning two out of four against the Rays, have not continued their success or, uh, um, or semi-success afterward. They've, they've now lost two in a row again. Um, so they were, I think, 22-54, now they're 22-56, or were they 22-57 now? 22-57, so they're up to 22-55. Uh, and so they had won exactly two out of seven games. That's their pace, two and five. Uh, uh, but now they're a little bit worse than that even. So um, so this week, I guess, is a success because they won two games. They only lost four. And... It's they have a 278 winning percentage, so this this week bumped them up, you know. And so, I guess that's I don't know. We're I'm just looking for any silver lining yeah. at all. They, they probably should have won tonight's game, they had a one nothing lead in the ninth inning. But again, they're doing a thing that I still don't quite understand. Maybe you have some insight on why is Chapman not the closer, but um, Barlow. Well, yeah, Scott Barlow is. is. I, I I guess maybe yeah. This is one of those things. Maybe wow. uh, since higher since I think so often higher leverage situations come in the eighth inning than the ninth inning, mm-hmm. and maybe sabermetrically the eighth inning is more important than the ninth, uh, because there's I don't I don't I don't know. This is, it reminds me a little bit of when the Royals were at their best, was when um, uh, Wade well. One of the times when the Royals were, like, was when Wade Davis was the eighth inning guy and Greg Holland was the ninth. Holland was really good, but Wade Davis was even better uh, as part of the HDH. Um, right. uh, Herrera, uh, Davis, uh, Holland. Davis was the best. He had like an under one ERA, I think, uh, in 2014. And uh, 2015 was also very, very uh, good. I think he was the closer mostly 2015 because. Uh, Holland got hurt, but I think he would have stayed in the eighth inning role even uh, uh, if Holland had been healthy. So I guess sometimes maybe having your eighth inning guy be lights out is better. So maybe that's why they want uh, Chapman. But as you mentioned before we went on, like 
if Chapman is supposed to be a trade piece, you want to showcase them in the ninth inning. You want to at least see him get those racked up save numbers and things like that. So I don't know why. Maybe maybe it's because the Rays sabermetric uh, philosophy will put put him in eighth, but like it doesn't make sense for a lot of the other lineup decisions. Uh, you mentioned uh, you might want to talk about uh, a lineup was it a week ago or uh, uh, against the Tigers where uh, their cleanup hitter was pinch hit for very pretty early. Yeah, in the in the, I mean, it was in the top of the eighth inning, I guess. Or top of the eighth, okay. but they still had to play. The bottom of the eighth, and then the top, mm-hmm. and then you know, then the ninth inning. In theory, they would, you know, have a chance to get back in it. They were they were down um, five to two going into the eighth. So yeah, they ended up pinch hitting for for some reason. Matt Duffy was, you know, in the game at all, but then also hitting cleanup as the second baseman, which is kind of strange anyway. Um, Duffy hasn't really shown much power from the team, and like basically mm-hmm. everyone else on the team, I think has shown more power during the season. Uh, but yeah, being in the in the uh, cleanup spot from before the game started is very strange. I think at the best, I think is what you could say. Um, but they but it instigated a bunch of changes that happened then when they pinch hit for Duffy. Uh just to run through it because it was very strange anyway. Yeah. So, um, so Beatty who pinch hit for Duffy ends up going into right field. Yeah. Which then, um, causes Oliveras who was playing right to move to left field. And then left fielder, Samad Taylor ends up moving to second base to fill Duffy's shoes. And then what would happen afterwards was very odd. Was a fly ball right between two of the players that just moved positions, Samad Taylor and, and Matt Beatty, uh, and a collision happened. Uh, Beatty ends up with a concussion and has to leave the game, which brings Drew Waters in. They don't send Drew Waters to right; they send him to center field and then move the the regular center fielder in the game, at least how the game started with was a uh, Tyron Blanco move him to right field. So basically two thirds of the team like shifted, you know, within that one inning all because of uh bizarre scenario of having Duffy start the game anyway and in the cleanup spot. So none of that really mattered. You know, I mean, like it was just it's all like on paper, a mistake that was made before the game even started. And none of those things should have happened. So essentially, like Royals management caused this concussion for Matt Beatty. Was there an injury should have been in the game to start with because he had like driven in the winning run in the previous game, but was Mm -hmm. not in the starting lineup the next day? That also drives me crazy. You talk about that. They they seem to reshuffle things after a win rather than keep things like you would think, oh, well, keep things the same after the win. Um, Yeah. But was, do you think that the Matt Duffy in the cleanup spot was because maybe there was an injury or something that happened right before the game when we just didn't want to mess the lineup anymore? So we'll just stick Duffy. At well, four, see, typically, what they've been doing is if 
Nikki Lopez isn't in the lineup that Samad Taylor plays second. But I think they're just trying to get Duffy into game. So I guess whenever somebody's up for a day off, Duffy goes to that spot. But then they also want to get players time. And I don't yeah. know. Duffy is recently even yeah. where like, you know, they decided, they made the decision. They didn't want Melendez who's been playing in right field pretty regularly to not have to worry about catching duty mm-hmm. and because he was trading off with Sal behind mm-hmm. the plate. And they decided they wanted him to just focus on hitting, play right field, don't think about being the catcher. Uh, but then today they had him move from right to left, which is still a change. So I don't know why they would bother with that. If the philosophy is don't change your out your fielding duties. And then they have him like, you know, flip it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may as well just have him be a catcher sometimes too. So I don't, I mean, the philosophy doesn't make any sense from any level. There's no statistical relevance to it. I don't know what their thought process is to get to this. And and half of these games that they're, that they're dropping, I think you could probably assume they were going to lose based on the lineup card they turned in, regardless of whatever happens in the game. And, uh, you know, that game a week ago looks like that just on paper. It's like, that's a loss. Matt Duffy's cleanup. Why? I don't understand. Yeah, Isn't the game? Good. It's fine. But like getting cleanup, I mm-hmm. doesn't make sense <laughs> on any level. Yeah. This has been Dr. Andrews Caff's weekly Royals rant. Um, I believe. And well, there's Duffy. You could say, well, Duffy is hitting uh, 303 this year, 357 on base percentage. So maybe you think, oh, that's a pretty good. Uh, we'll put him in uh, higher up in the, in the order. Well, then hit him, hit him lead off, move everybody down one slot. I yeah. Mean, I mean, to, the, to me, that makes more sense than ha- having him hit cleanup. But even if you go with traditional baseball logic, you'd still want your best power hitter there. And that's I, that's Sal, though. And they haven't done that like at all this year. Like he's not been hitting in the four slot. You know, and he's been uh, struggling. He's been he gets hit with foul balls all the time. He got hit with a pitch a few days ago. He's not been that great at the plate the last few days. We got a day off today, entire day off, which is a rarity. Not catching, not DH. Yeah, Freddie uh, Freddie Fermin batting ninth and catching. He's been decent this year. Kyle Kyle Isbell came back into the lineup. Um, they put him kind of right in the middle. Uh, but I guess there's no real great Royals hitter this year, so it's hard to say. But um, yeah, it's yeah. Prado is leading. Uh, he was leading off this, and then Wit in second, Melinda's third. Uh, Taylor pinch hit from Melinda's, or pinch ran from Melinda's, and then Gar- Garcia. I guess is probably having the best year of anybody. Uh, Michael Garcia as a, as a rookie, yeah, uh, player. Uh, I, I read something about Michael Garcia uh, perhaps being in in contention for the Rookie of the Year award. Do you think headline? I didn't didn't look at the article though. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know who the best um, rookies are in the American League right now, but uh, projected right now, guys. Uh, well, I guess the proje- the the projections are just double what they are. Essentially, so uh, it only has ninety four games for Garcia played. So, but, he's, um, but so like presumably he'll play on uh, the rest on out. So maybe maybe he'll have 10, 15 home runs, um, uh, something like that. Playing solid defense at at third base. 
mostly. He's been a third mostly, hasn't he, Garcia? Sometimes outfield. They they move guys around for seemingly no reason. So I don't really know what you know. Nothing they do really makes sense. Yeah. Nicky Lopez plays third sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. So it's like basically the whole team is you. I mean, they're turning them all into like utility players. So if they're trying to build some kind of like. Uh, you know, roster out of utility players, or try to show that a player is versatile, that they could be a trade piece. Nobody wants utility players. Don't do this. I don't get it at all. It doesn't help the Royals. It doesn't help the players by building a bunch of utility players. That <laughs> a guy's a good player, regular position. Maybe they're trying to bring in, so they all play different positions. Maybe they're trying. Maybe they're trying to uh, play the um, soccer style of the 1970s Dutch teams, which were no, was known as total football, where there were no positions that players had, where they started with a position, but then they could switch as the game went on. So, like instead of like you know a, like a back making the run. Uh, up to uh, forward, and then eventually coming back, while well, in the midfielder who replaced them would 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 go back to their spot. Uh, they would just continue playing in that uh, position, and maybe that's uh, what uh, the uh, Royals brass have decided to do. We'll, we'll have every player be able to play every position, but they, even switch positions during the game. But shouldn't they just like play in like? Shouldn't they just like come together? as a team like in the middle of the field and then just like spray out to the positions like yeah like between innings or or like for every batter maybe even hey you what i wonder why they don't why players don't do that like what like you could say like well maybe the outfield spots like why don't they switch an inning like like why don't why doesn't the guy in center field play left field for an inning and then go back to center yeah do they have to announce that sort of thing beforehand or like as you can shift whenever or used to, used to be able to shift over yeah. uh so i would guess you could play and and they have those you know sometimes those stunts where the catcher or somebody would play every position uh one yeah. one inning well it's like so, a guy that does that though right not yeah yeah but i guess the other players have to move around a little bit to accommodate right that yeah um, and... I was going to ask them too. Did you watch the uh, most recent season of Ted Lasso? I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen. The it. Total Football actually plays a uh, oh okay. role in that in that show. So the nineteen seventies Johan Cruyff uh, Dutch team that I think they finished runner up in the World Cup in nineteen seventy four and nineteen seventy eight. Uh, they did not win either one. The Dutch still have not. I think they're the closest team that has come the closest to winning the World Cup. Six. I think they were. I think they were runner up against Spain maybe too. Uh, in 2010 and so they've, they've come really close but they haven't um won but yeah so i guess maybe that's what the royals are trying to do i don't they, know they watched ted lasso and they're like i've heard of this now and uh yeah yeah i don't think so i don't know what matt quatrero's uh um sporting history is maybe he's watching sporting uh kc uh play Although they haven't been as that great uh, recently, so no, none of, yeah, I I don't know what's going on with the Royals. Uh, one thing that's true is that the draft is coming up, and I believe in two weeks, it's the ninth, the ninth. So we'll have a, a kind of a draft special episode, I guess, yeah, next week. 
Yeah. And we'll talk a little more about it. But you have a little bit of draft info that you wanted to talk yeah, about. Not a whole lot anyway, but mo- uh, mostly I think it was just going to be like mentioned about like what the uh, the structure of the draft is anyway. Maybe is what we should maybe say a little bit about this time. Okay. Maybe we'll talk about some of the picks. So the Roy- the Royals were the fifth worst team by record last season, but because of the lottery, they actually fell a few spots in the first round. So they'll be drafting eighth in round one, and then fifth mm-hmm. in all the nineteen subsequent rounds. Oh, so the only round one is lottery. The other rounds are um, straight record. Right. Then it, then it goes back to record. Yeah. So, and then this year, I think, is the first year of this prospect promotion um, incentive rounds. Before they kind of like kept players, um, they'd, they'd hold like rookies back to try to get an extra year of, of uh, control from their contracts um, by not starting them when the season starts, but starting them like bringing rookies up like in July or August would be like pretty common at least anyway mm-hmm. um, to create the, like that super two scenario. So they're trying to get, they're, they're trying to get rid of that now. So now they're saying that like, if you have a guy that is on the, as a rookie on the opening day roster, and I think if they play the whole season and then maybe some, I don't remember if they have to like be considered for an award, but you can actually get an additional draft pick as a bonus. Oh. So it's a little, like little a bit like loss of a year of control. You may get another prospect to sort of fill that void, at least anyway. One team qualified for a, pro- a prospect promotion incentive. That was the Seattle Mariners hmm. this season. Who was the, uh, who was the player? I'm not who it's for, though. Oh, for Julio Rodriguez. Won the Rookie Julio of the Year Rodriguez. Award. Well, maybe that's, maybe that, maybe you can only do that. Maybe it's only two teams can actually win that now. I'm not sure, but I think I believe that's the first incentive pick. Then, so they get they get a, the 29th pick of the draft would be a bonus Seattle pick. Um, and then so the Royals will pick eighth, and then 44th, and they also get a bonus pick in the competitive balance round B, at 66. Okay, they get three picks in the top in the first two rounds anyway, and then this season I think they're doing twenty total rounds, which is a much shorter than what it had been. It used to be fifty. Well, fifty was the standard until just recently, I guess, when it went to twenty. It had been like eighty or or something. I don't remember. Uh, Mike Piazza famously wasn't he a seventy or sixty third round pick or seventieth something like that, and it was only as like a personal favor to Tommy Lasorda, right? Wasn't it like Lasorda's buddy was Piazza's dad or something like that? Yeah, I guess they. Yeah, uh, he was. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, it says after his father asked Lasorda to select Piazza as a favor, um, <laughs> he's sixty second round, sixty second, second round pick, sixty second round, the nineteen eighty eight draft. Uh, so it was the last draft. They had 62. So he was the fifth, the 1390th player out of 1395 players taken. So they took all 1400 players almost back then. And now they're down to 500 or 600 players. Yeah. Uh, 
guess about 600 plus about players. 600 plus um, 50, 40 maybe, 30 total maybe, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I guess it would, be, it would be 600 if it was 20 times 30 and then maybe a few extra uh, yeah, competitive Competitive compensation picks. Is, is uh, six players. Well, there's, there's 70 picks in the first. There's a compensatory round too. There's 70 players in the, so there's 10 extra players. So 610 should be. There we go. Yeah. A few teams like lost a pick, I think, too, for like having to give it up for something. Yeah, I, I was just I was just looking up the uh Piazza family more. Um so yeah, Mike Piazza's godfather apparently was Tommy Lasorda. I don't know exactly how they're from Norristown, Pennsylvania, lived in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Tommy Lasorda sort is also from Norristown, Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, Norristown is uh, a Philadelphia um, kind of old suburb of Philadelphia. So they're uh, Philly folks. So I guess that's why they knew Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda also played briefly uh, with the Kansas City A before. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else. Uh, uh, any, any, any other like manager? Like that actually historically have had like produced quite a few managers, right? Yeah, the, like those Kansas City A's teams, I think, had a lot of managers on that roster. Future managers, I guess, right? Future yeah. managers, yeah, future managers on that roster. I don't. Um, because they, dra- they drafted Lou Pinella, the Royals mm-hmm. did. Not the A's, yeah. but the Royals did. A lot of those Royals players became managers of the Royals, too, like in the 60s and 70s, because uh, you had uh, both uh, Hal McRae and, Wa- and John Watson. Uh, Jamie Quirk was a manager, wasn't he, too? Quirk was a long-time manager, Bud Black, um, 70s and 80s. Um, I guess Bob, Bob Boone, who was on the team, and later in his mostly mostly probably known for his Angels career, but he was on the Royals towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh was a man was a, a longtime manager, also manager of the Royals. Um yeah, the Royals have had a lot of players. I guess that's probably true for most teams. They've had because it seems like in general, a lot of the managers are former players that do fairly well. I think like other sports, like I think the least likely for a former player to be uh to be a head coach or a manager is probably the nfl those seem like it's re- very very rare for a former nfl player to be a head coach mm-hmm. um uh let's who's i don't know who comes to mind right now i i you know jim harbaugh um was for the 49ers and i guess bill romanowski had has been a head coach at one point, uh, Mike Singletary. None of them were very successful. Yeah. Most yeah. of the yeah, most of these guys are career coaches from like maybe they play or maybe they do play a little bit in the NFL, but then they become. Um, maybe Tony Dungy was a little brief NFL player too, or something. But like, yeah, it's like they are not successful NFL players usually. Right. Well, a lot of the yeah MLB managers are 
had some kind of playing career, but not necessarily were yeah. the best player anyway. Well, you had yeah. Well, like uh, Dusty Baker was a uh, decent player. Good player, yeah. Uh, Don Mattingly, famous, you know, as was a really good player. Maybe um, not the best manager though, right? So. No. Yeah, yeah. He, he may be the most as... famous player to have become a manager. Yeah, Ted Frank Frank Robinson was yeah, a good manager. Really good, yeah. Ted Williams was thought not to be a good manager. He was a, a you know, but yeah, it seems like a lot of uh, you had a lot of uh, really good players that became um, managers. Uh, I don't be cause... something they look for when they're when they're looking at the draft. Should they be saying like, oh, this guy might be a future manager? Well, it seems like catchers. Uh, become managers more often than any other position. So Ned Yost was a catcher. He may have played very briefly as a, uh, in, the, in, the, in the majors. Uh, but I'm looking at the current managers right now. Um, Alex Cora, I remember as a player. Yeah, he's like an infielder. Mm-hmm. Terry Francona for the Guardians played. A.J. Hinch, former Royals Pitcher, former Royals catcher, I mean. Yep. He's a Tigers manager. Dusty Baker. I don't think Matt Quattraro ever played. Oh, I uh, Phil, uh, Let's see if he, I don't think he ever played in the uh, majors. No. Um, but then there's Phil Nevin. He was a, a, a decent player. He was thought to be like a, a big star at one point. I think I had, a, I had a rookie card or something of him. He was uh, thought to be like a, an up and comer in the like, late 80s, early 90s. Rocco Baldelli was a good player until he got hurt. For the Twins manager, Aaron Boone, players, Mark Kotze, player, Scott Service, you remember? Um, Quattrone never made it to the majors. He made it yeah. to the is how is how far he got, at least anyway. Quattrone, yeah. yeah. Service, I remember playing for the majors. He was a relief pitcher. Uh, Kevin Cash also played. Bruce Boshi uh, was a player. Um I don't remember John Schneider. Yeah, John Schneider for the Blue Jays was not. Like, I, a majority of the players, in the, they, the managers in the American League were players at the major league level. Yeah, at the major league level. I think they were all baseball players, mm-hmm. whether they made it to the majors or not, right? Yeah. Who was, who yeah. was the last John? Who was the last guy? John Schneider for the Blue Jays was not a. John Schneider. Let's see. He did play, he did play in the minors. Yeah. He's younger than us, Mike. Did you know yeah. That? Well, yeah. It's, it's starting to happen. But yeah. in the National League, um, he made it to AAA with Toronto. So he's been in their organization for quite some time. Yeah. Um, yeah he's, he's been with the uh, Blue Jays since the 2002 season. National League seems to have fewer. So yeah, players plus year Blue Jay. Can you believe that? Wow. So the uh the Reds manager David Bell uh was a decent player. Buddy, I think he's isn't he Buddy Bell's son, former Royals manager and former Indians player. Bud Black, Dave Roberts, probably uh most famous for his stolen base against uh the Yankees in the two thousand three ALCS that kind of uh um, propelled uh, the Red Sox to the World Series. Uh, Skip Shoemaker, former Cardinal. Cardinal. Uh, Craig Council, longtime Astro, Diamondback, maybe just Diamondback. 
I remember so most of the, the Diamondbacks, but yeah. He was the Mar- he went with the Marlins. He went to the World Series. But Show Walter, did he play? He was a, a longtime manager. He's back in the majors. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he ever played in the majors, Buck Showalter. Uh, he's one of the exceptions, maybe, that proves the rule. Um, Rob Thompson doesn't seem like he played for uh, anybody. He is the Phillies manager right now. Derek Shelton, I don't remember. He played two seasons in the Yankees organization. So, um Oliver Marmol, I do not remember playing. Yeah, the National League, Bob Melvin has been a longtime manager. I think he also played catcher uh, in the majors for a while. Walter made it as high as AAA with the uh, Yankees. Gabe Kapler and Dave Martinez, the Giants and National Managers, they were all um, players too, but uh, those two are both players. But yeah, it was an expo, wasn't it? Yes. I think Mar- Marmol, I think, was a was a player though, wasn't he? By Mike, I don't remember him. Um oh that's all uh Carlos Marmol was in the main. Oh game. yeah. Really, Oliver really. Marmol though was yeah, I don't uh Carlos as high as high A. Okay. 2010 as recently as 2010. So by my count, eight out of the 15 National League player uh managers were players, but um, one, two, three, four, six, 11 out of the 15 American League uh, managers were major league players. So that's 19 out of 30. So almost two thirds are former players. And that's, um, Right now, so I I compare that to um, NFL coaches. Uh, John Harbaugh Harbaugh is the brother of Jim Harbaugh, but I don't, he never played himself. Uh, Frank Reich, I guess. The they probably played like college football, though, right? Yeah. Frank Reich, uh, probably uh, was backup quarterback to um, yes. Jim Kelly. Uh, and he was also the quarterback in the uh, big comeback that the Bills had against the Oilers when they were down 30, I believe 35 to 3 at halftime or something like that. And they won. Um, so, yeah, Frank Reich. Um, Zach Taylor was also, I believe, a NFL. No, he no, he was he was in the Nebraska quarterback. He never never ended up playing in the NFL, but maybe he did. Um, uh, Dan Campbell uh, for the. Uh, where the Lions played a bit as a tight end. He was in the league for a while. Not mm-hmm. a great player. Matt LaFleur was a backup quarterback. You know, he actually ended up signing a huge deal in Seattle because he had like one good game with the uh, Green Bay Packers when he was, I think, Brett Favre's backup. He had, threw like six touchdowns in a game or something like that, and then he got this huge contract with Seattle and uh, didn't do anything. Um 
No, or I'm thinking of somebody else. No, no I don't think he, he doesn't have any um, NFL. Who am I thinking of? Record. Uh, record, yeah. Matt Flynn. I'm thinking Matt Flynn. I'm sorry. Not Matt. Yes, different guy. Matt Flynn was the uh, football, uh, the guy who played for the. Um, yeah, I, oh, I was thinking he played for LSU, and I, I was thinking I was thinking Lafleur, French, LSU, and uh, had had conflated them. He played for the Packers, and then he signed this huge contract, um, a big contract, and he lost the um, starting job to Russell Russell uh, Wilson. That was Matt Flynn. I'm sorry, sorry, uh, Mr. Lafleur. So he was not in uh, the player, but Demichael Ryan's was a was a solid. Linebacker uh, for uh, several years for the Texans and the Eagles. So I guess there are more that I thought of. Doug Peterson was a coach. Uh, I mean, was a player. Yeah, uh, backup quarterback uh, mostly. Um, I guess, uh, Dennis Allen made the practice squad of a team, but. Mike Vrabel, uh, Todd Bowles were both players. So I guess there were maybe five or six. Andy Reid uh, was in the uh, punt, pass, and kick. <laughs> Ron Rivera played for the Bears. Uh, he was part of the – yeah, Andy Reid was the giant among the punt, pass, and kick competition. So, yeah, yeah I guess so, so maybe six or seven. So pro- it seems like it's about three – almost three times as likely right now anyway for a, a major league manager to have been a major league player. Uh, than an um, NFL coach to bit mm. but but it's rare to be a successful player to then become a coach. But that, I think that's pretty true in most of the leagues, right? Like like a really like well, you know like maybe Deion Sanders maybe if he decides to try to go to the pros from Colorado, yeah, he, if he doesn't, one of the most famous players to become a coach to become an NFL, yeah. right? If, yeah, Sanders, if, he, if he decides to do that, Sanders had some medical issues recently. Did you hear about that? That yes, with his uh, he had to have it. Well, he had toes amputated, and he might he almost need to have his foot amputated. But they didn't try to surgery because I guess um, he has very low blood flow to one of his feet because of some injury that he suffered, probably wow. playing football and some reconstructive surgery or something with his ankle. Wow! And wow. so um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think in college. Sanders is a good coach. I do not necessarily think he would be a good coach for the NFL because college is usually motivators and recruiters that are good coaches. And it's Exodus and those guys that become the good coaches in the NFL because the because there are no like the talent level of all the teams is pretty even. So it's the, it's going to be the uh, the coaching and the player assembly. Uh, that becomes more important than just uh, like Nick Saban recruiting the best players and. You know what they say about uh, you know college basketball coaches or basketball coaches with the best players. They just roll the balls out uh, for practice and let people play around, and then uh, that's all they do. In in the NFL, it seems like coaching is is more. And and in baseball has traditionally been seen as a very kind of managerially heavy managing people and putting them in in these positions. Um, I don't know how true necessarily that is, but um, yeah, but. It's yeah, so I don't, I don't, you know, so we don't, so the draft, 
uh, we don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah, we we can also I, talk I, about. The- I guess the the early report though is that the um, Royals may be interested in high school players again. Now this will this will be JJ Piccolo's first official draft, I think, as the uh, the guy anyway, as the as the GM. And it sounds like they they may have they may be linked to a couple of different high school players. The the draft strategy may be shifting again, but we don't know. We'll hopefully know a little bit more next week when we um you know do our our little uh, last minute MLB draft preview. Yeah. So the um the well Frank um Montecato in the twenty twenty one draft was from um a high school. Mm-hmm. And- who the 2022 first round uh draft pick Eva Lacey, right? So we had Gavin, so Gavin, oh, 2022 was Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech, Frank Mazzucato from East Catholic High School, Manchester, Connecticut, was a high school. Asa Lacey was from AM, Texas AM. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. was a high school player. Yeah. So two out of the last four drafts, the Royals have drafted high school players. Prior to that, um, they had three first round draft picks of famously in uh, 2018. They took three pitchers, Brady Singer, Jackson Kowar, um, and Daniel Lynch, all from colleges. Nick Prada was from high school, 2017, Huntington Beach High School. Uh, no first round pick in 2016. I don't know what happened in 2016 that the Royals, was that because they won the World Series? They didn't get a draft pick in the first yeah. round? They didn't have a draft pick at all. No, they, no, they only there were only twenty three draft picks in the first round. Oh, maybe because they signed three agents or something, they didn't get I one. Bet that's what it was. Yeah. Um. No they compensatory picks either. Pick. No competitive balance picks. Uh, the Royals in the twenty. Yeah. No. No. No pick. Um. No first round pick. Uh, Nolan Watson, Lawrence North High School, twenty fifteen. Ash Russell, twenty fifteen. Also. Uh, first round pick, neither of them panned out. Um, Chase Vallett didn't pan out as a catcher. Neither did Foster Griffin as a pitcher. Uh, like Volo was the Chase Volo. Oh, Volo was that his name? I guess he was friend. He was uh, from Louisiana. <laughs> I don't even remember him. I remember I remember seeing his name in print, but he was supposed he was to be pretty good, and he never never panned out though. Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be like a good on base percentage. What guy. year was that? Was that one? Twenty fourteen. So they had three first-round picks in 2014. They had Finnegan, Foster Griffin, and Chase Velo. Yeah. Uh, Finnegan from college went to the majors very, very quickly. Uh, they also had the year before Hunter Dozier and Sean and I have both college. Kyle Zimmer college. Oh, 2011, Bubba Starling famously from uh, Gardner-Edgerton High School here uh, uh, on the Kansas side of the metro, kind of, kind of sort of exurb, exurban can, uh, Kansas City. Yeah, um, he ended up finally making his major league debut uh, in 2019, and he played for the Royals in 2019 and 2020, but uh, has retired. And so they they the most famous high school pick I I would hazard to guess at least in the 21st century was Zach Grinke in 2002. Although maybe you could say Colt Griffin, the bust in 2001. He was one, I think, the first high school pitcher to be able to throw 100 miles an hour or something yeah. like that. Um, he was he was very wild. He never made it. But Zach Grinke 
I don't know if we've talked about this on the air or we just talked about it before, but was that Grinky was famously in the Royals draft strategy was famously maligned in uh Michael Lewis's book Moneyball. And they're talking about how great the Oakland A's draft was in 2002 because they were picking these college players that were already developed. Mm. They had uh, plate discipline, things like that. But Zach Grinke turns out to be by far the best of any of the players grad, uh, drafted in 2002. So that's like uh, probably the world's most successful pick um, um, in the first round. Alex Gordon was solid. Um, Moustakas Hosmer were very good. Um, Hochever was decent, although not an over number one. There was award. just recently an article on ESPN about the uh, best draft um, from each major league team. Which year do you think was the Royals' best draft? This goes back to the beginning of the franchise, though. Back to the beginning of the franchise. Um, so maybe the year George Brett was drafted? Uh, 70... You didn't have to take very long to get to that, and you are correct. <laughs> I think they drafted... Um... So in that actual draft, I think he was the only like major player that they got. But yeah. the supplemental draft, they also got... Um... They got a couple of guys. They got an, a catcher later, like in the January draft, and then they got uh, Steve uh, Steve Busby in the uh, that supplemental second part of the uh, draft because the draft is really split into like four or five parts over the year. Oh, and uh, they ended up with yeah Brett Busby and maybe John Waffen too. I think maybe that's who mm. it was in the that best list anyway. The best players, so uh, of that 71 Major League Baseball draft, uh, round draft that year was number five overall. That was Roy Branch. Um, really? And he was from St. Louis. He had one, so he didn't make, so he was drafted 71. He didn't make the May 79. He was drafted, um, he was purchased by the Royals for. Cash considerations, I guess, is what they call it now. Um, he was he only had one or two appearances. He had a almost eight. Uh, or he was a September call of 1979, so he did not pan out. Um, yeah, Brett was actually the second yeah pick yeah that year. Brett was number 29 overall. Mike Schmidt was number 30 overall. So um, yes. and Brett and Schmidt uh, were both shortstops. Uh, you know, because everybody put you know your best player played shortstop. Neither of them played shortstop in the majors, really. Um, right. So, would you have so seeing George Brett off the table? Would that have meant that you would not have picked Mike Schmidt because he was at another shortstop? Yeah, I mean that that is one philosophy to take, and that that seems to me that's what I would I would say generally to do. Apparently, this is the exception to that, right? For the well, uh, let's look at the uh, the shortest few times, but there were. Uh, yeah, one of their shortstops one, were drafted. Nah, two, yeah, neither of them actually played shortstop. Three, though. four, five, six, seven, eight shortstops drafted in the first round. Yeah. And, and George Brett was the ninth shortstop. Schmidt was the tenth shortstop. So of the first eight, um, negative point two, never played in the majors. Zero, negative three point seven war, never played in the majors. Never played in the majors. Craig Reynolds. Yeah. 13.1 war. Decent player. Yeah. He was an all-star. Uh, Mike Miley. Negative 0.9 war. 
for his career. So, I mean, those don't sound like very good numbers, right? One guy was okay. The rest of the guys were uh, mediocre at best, I guess, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where... Uh... And then Brett and Schmidt, two future Hall of Famers, picked in the second round back-to-back. Back-to-back. And you have other... John Guidry was picked that year. Keith Hernandez was picked in the 42nd round. Also in that draft, the Royals in the 33rd round picked Steve Bartkowski. Do you know who Steve Bartkowski is? Have you no. heard of him? He never played baseball. He became an NFL football uh, player. He was the Atlanta Falcons quarterback for uh, really? about 10 years between uh, 1975 and 85. He was actually the number one overall pick in the NFL draft in 1975. So he became a, a football NFL football player. Um did he, not he, um, did not sign with the Royals, by the way. He is one of, I think, several prominent NFL quarterbacks to have been drafted by the Royals. I believe they also drafted um, Dan Marino. And yeah, I think so. Was it Jim Kelly or was it El- Elway they drafted? Uh, that's. It was Elway. It was Elway and Dan Marino they drafted. Yeah. Yeah. How, when when were they drafted? Was it 1979? So, so it was, it was a couple before years before they went to college. Their, yeah. College debuts, even, right? Yeah. A year before their college debut. That's right. Elway was also a. Both, so they drafted both of them that year? It's, Dan it's Marino a, was fourth round. John Elway was 18th round. Dan Marino, fourth round. Did not sign. Yes, obviously. John Elway, 18th round. And then Elway was also a second-round pick for the Yankees the Yankees in 1981. And he did play minor league baseball with the Yankees. One season. But uh, the Royals pitched him first. Um, the Royals also uh, drafted Archie Manning, uh, parent, uh, father of Peyton and... Uh, Eli, uh, grandfather of Arch Manning, the number one like recruit, uh, isn't I yes. think going to Texas, I believe. Um, yeah, he drafted Steve Barkowski, also famously, probably the most famous football player that was drafted by the Royals was Bo Jackson, Heisman Trophy winner, who ended up actually playing, uh, in the NFL. So the Royals have had some interesting, uh, draft picks, uh, that became football, uh, players. Apparently, Dan Marino's baseball ceiling was higher than Elway's. Uh, I'm reading according to this article on Yahoo right now. Um, injuries at Pitt and later in the NFL robbed Marino of his running ability. He became a statuesque pocket passer. Uh, but um, there were uh, people that said, um, I think Marino's ceiling was higher than Elway, uh, said uh, one of these scouts. Uh, Art Stewart, I believe, legendary Royal Scout Art Stewart, who has yeah. died. Uh, they always called him a legendary scout, even though the Royals didn't have that much success. Uh, really compared, I guess they did in the seventies quite a bit, but like us, yeah. like you know, I don't know what Art Stewart. Well, would would uh, you agree with their uh, assessment though that Marino is better than Elway uh, in baseball? No, just in general. In general, um, <laughs> I'd I'd rather I'd probably rather have LA simply because, well, LA's teams went to the Super Bowl a bunch of times. Marino's only one time. Yes, and they lost. Even though LA's teams lost 
they went at least they went three times kind of when Elway was running the show um so you're, think, you're saying you're a title chaser then like you only care about the championships i i think when it gets to be five super bowls to one super bowl there's a difference there i think if it's like if la if, if marino had made two and la had made even four or something like that. They, I don't. I think a big disparity. I think for a quarterback, especially, I think is a, there's a difference. Like yeah. I, I, you know, um, Patrick Mahomes has already been to the Super Bowl three times. You know, which is three times as many Super Bowls as uh, you know Aaron Rodgers has been to. Especially, you can kind of, in some ways, say, well, sometimes the quarterback is the only good player on a really bad team. Maybe uh, well, Rodgers has been to the Super Bowl before, right? Or he's been one time. He's only been he's one. Been time. To one yeah. Or he won, he's been, been to one. He's been to one and won one. Or yeah, he's one and a. Okay. One twenty ten, I believe. Yeah. So, it's, I don't. Quarterbacks, I think the ring factor makes sense somewhat, because there's that. I think there is you know playing good games against the toughest competition in tight spots, and it's not like I think in some ways it's, I think the the number of Super Bowls that Brady has gone to it's I think was it eleven? Is he or he's uh or just ten? He's seven maybe seven and three. I think the ten. I think the number of Super Bowls he's reached ten is more impressive than just the seven. Yeah. Because if you make it to the Super Bowl you win or lose, I think that's impressive. So, so when we we've talked about this I think before, but I, just to see if it's consistent then uh, LeBron James and NBA championships versus Jordan's went to six, won all six versus uh, LeBron's gone to 10, I believe, and won four. Four, yes, four. Four and six. I think LeBron's are more, is more uh, impressive because he's been to more. Because, like, if you don't go, like, you know, the six, like, it's like if you win six, you go to six and win six. Well, what happened to all those other years that Jordan played? That means he lost before. So I don't think you should be rewarded for losing earlier in the playoffs than not. So I, th- I think the, um, you know, kind of like in, col- like in sort of college basketball coaching, a lot of the measurements are final fours made yeah. is a big thing. Rather and it's than championships not- necessarily. Yeah. And so like making it far, I think, is a accomplishment. Consistently deep into the playoffs is. Yeah preferable so like you know andy reeds you know is it 10 now conference championship games that he has coached in you know that's impressive and then you win but it's more impressive now that he has two titles right yeah you would say well by on average if, if you're if you win if you go to 10 conference championships you should make it to five super bowls and then you yeah. should win two to three Super Bowls if it's like a 50-50 kind of thing. Um, so I yeah. think yeah, I think that's I think that's impressive. And and uh, I think if you yeah, I think if you like make, you know, like you had said, if you make it and win Super Bowls, like if you make it to the championship game a lot and can't make it past that, that shows kind of a limitation, but still impressive. Yeah, but like you look at Aaron Rodgers' career, he has been in several NFC championship games and only won one. And just by the odds, you would think that you would win more, especially since a lot of those games have been at home for the Packers. 
as the you know one of the top seeds and so i i would you know i yeah so i guess i i guess that's why we go back to elway versus marino is that what we were talking about i yeah. think marino was a in some ways a better passer but it was he was very very he ended up being very very one-dimensional and elway could move the ball it was like it was a mobile quarterback and could do fun things so i guess i would take elway over marino but mm. how about you uh, just not just because the Broncos and they suck. <laughs> to hell with well, anything Broncos related. The Chiefs had the chance to draft Dan Marino, but they didn't. Uh, for and he and the Steelers had a chance. And he was a he played for Pitt, and if he had got and he was actually thought of as like, going into the season was the number one overall draft probably prospect. But uh, his senior year at Pitt was not as good as his junior year, and there were rumors that like he was a partier and like did cocaine and stuff like that, and that's why he ended up dropping. And so the Chiefs ended up taking kind of one-year wonder Todd Blackledge from Penn State over a uh, solid uh, four-year starter or whatever it was, uh, Dan Marino. I don't know if Blackledge was just a one-year He wasn't um, – he was not uh, – he became a good uh, analyst uh, and broadcaster but he was not a very good quarterback. He couldn't uh, beat out uh, Bill Kinney uh, as the as a quarterback. So yeah, he was drafted ahead of. Uh, so Blackledge was number seven overall. He was the second quarterback taken um, behind John Elway. So we did, she didn't have a chance to get Elway, but um, Jim Kelly was drafted that round of that draft later. Tony Eason, who was eh, he made it to a Super Bowl as a Kind of a backup quarterback, kind of, yeah, uh, or kind of platoon quarterback with Steve Grogan, former K State star. Ken O'Brien had some decent years as quarterback. He was also picked a little bit later. So, yeah, Blackledge was probably the least successful of those first round quarterbacks. Sure, yeah. Um, but you know, in the NFL draft you expect your players to contribute more quickly than MLB draft. And that's something also you expect from the NBA draft, which, which happened last week. Um, but uh, the number one overall pick, the NBA draft uh, was Victor Wimbanyama. Victor Wimbanyama. See, we uh, from uh, not surprisingly was not surprising. Said to be the number one pick probably before the last NBA season even started. Uh, you know, played well during that season and then was selected number one by San Antonio. Straight to the yeah. championship game. Is that is that your expectation now from the number one pick? You would think so. It seems like he's been the most hyped pick probably since LeBron almost. Uh, but, we had talked about you know, LeBron, uh, it took LeBron several years. To get even to the playoffs, right? Yeah, let that's alone true, but... win a championship, and it wasn't with the team that drafted him. That, he made that... it to he made it to a finals with Cleveland yes. before he left, and he had basically because I don't think that team was expecting the finals by any means. No, he he carried that. Team. It's, like, it's one of those things like also with LeBron, he carried some of those Cleveland teams to like he was kind of maligned for joining Dwayne Wade and. um Chris Bosch and stuff like that in in Miami, 
but he well, it was because of the way he joined them though yeah taking his talents to south beach that that, right. that, that uh, the announcement and but his cleveland teams he won with cleveland and he didn't he had kevin the love decision. and that was a decision that's what it was called the decision yes. yeah he didn't have a lot of uh supporting cast and he didn't really have a great coach whereas you you think that at least um when Miyama has one of the greatest coaches in uh NBA history, we could easily say, I think, uh, Greg Popovich as his coach. So that's a that's maybe a little bit you think you know Mahomesy, Andy Reid, like you would you would say. I think with their second pick, they took another like French player too. So maybe like ease Wimbanyama's, uh, you know, transition into the NBA too, which is kind of interesting. Oh, it was, it was Leonard Miller from Canada. No. Oh. So he's from. Well, he may speak a little French, just being from from Ontario. But um, he didn't play in. A lot of these players now are not playing in college. They're going directly to uh, the. Was he a D League player? G League, yeah, the G League. I'm not sure why they call it a G League. It's um, it's because it's sponsored by Gatorade, so oh, so it's the G League now. Yeah, so it was the D League, the development league. Then it became developmental league. Yeah, in 2017. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I didn't remember why it was called the G League. Uh, so a lot of the players were G League, um, draft picks. Um, so number three, Scoot Henderson was a G League guy. Um. Some of these players were what were called the overtime elite league of this league. Yes. You're not gonna mention the Thompson twins or yeah. It's 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 a sports media company gen- geared towards Gen Z sports fans. Yeah. And it's the it's uh operated by over overtime uh company. And it's it's a made it's a professional basketball league. American international basketball players between the ages of 16 to 20, players receive a minimum salary of $100,000 annually. Signing bonus shares. So that's interesting. Okay. So, two number, so uh, number, yeah, the Thompson twins, Amen and uh, uh, Asar Thompson. Sounds right. Uh, that's interesting that maybe it's Amen. Amen, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, Amen. Amon and Asar Thompson were number four and five. They were both on the City Reapers uh, overtime. That's not a very good name. Well, they should be referred to as the Thompson Twins, though, right? I mean, Thompson Twins. Hold me now. This should be there. Yes. <laughs> uh, why are they called the City Reapers? That doesn't, I guess, Grim Reapers, but like, I wouldn't. I, I, it, Reaper is a little too close to other uh, words that are not as positive. Less um, desirable. Yeah. Oh, uh, there was another uh, French player, uh, Bilal uh, Koulibaly, uh, who was traded to Washington um, uh, from the Metropolitan's 92 team that, that also was one Banyama's. Uh, oh, maybe that's what it Maybe I just saw another player of his got drafted from his team. Uh, the Metropolitan's 92 is based in Levois, uh, Levois, uh which is uh, Paris suburb. Um, so uh, they played for the Parisian suburb team, and mm-hmm. the Metropolitan Knights. So two of their players were taken in the top uh, seven. 
So, yeah, yeah. But the NBA, it looks like, you know, you think, okay, NBA players, they become really good really quickly. Uh, and having the first round pick, of course, is going to be the best. But we discovered something looking up uh, just the last uh, 20 plus years of draft picks. Having the number one draft pick being the best player that year is pretty rare. Um, in 2003, LeBron has been the best player by win shares and other statistics probably pretty easily. 2004, Dwight Howard was the best player taken. But then it wasn't, it wasn't until 2015 uh, where we have Carl Anthony Towns as the top player. So three times in the 21st century, we looked at the drafts from 2000 to 2020. Uh, the last couple, you can't really tell who's going to be the best player. There's only been a few. It's not totally fair to make that judgment yeah. now, at least anyway. But as of right now, these numbers are accurate, right? Yeah, you could say so by, by win shares, right? Three of the 23 drafts of this century. The number, the number one, one player in the draft has been the highest by win shares is all. Yeah. So, like, so, so, the, so the concept for, but in, in the NBA then for tanking for the number one pick doesn't guarantee the best player out of the draft by any means. No, you could say generally these number one picks have been at least solid players if not the best. So that's probably different from Major League Baseball and some other um, drafts, but it's not the uh, slam dunk, uh, pun intended, that maybe what appropriate is. pun intended, yeah. yes. Yes. And, well, when, like we said, he's, a, he's, he's still LeBron. Uh, it's probably the most, so LeBron was picked number one. That was an easy Pick. But sometimes these players get players get hurt. Who knows? Um, famously, a few years after LeBron was taken, Greg Oden was seen as the number one overall pick, and that was the Kevin Durant was drafted number two, and Durant turned out to be much better than Oden, mainly because he was healthy, and you know he, Oden was kind of a prematurely old man. It seemed like when he was, he, he didn't just look like an old man. Yeah. He also apparently had like the bone structure of an old man. Yeah, he had microfractures in his knees that required multiple surgeries, and he never really um, did a lot in the NFL. He, I mean, in the NBA, he is still only thirty-five years old, and you would say a thirty-five-year-old player can still be a solid NBA player. Um, but yeah, he. Ended up only playing, only played about uh, seven or eight years in the NBA. But probably parts of seven or eight years, though, really. The, yeah, he played for the Trailblazers. Uh, and then the. Is that who drafted him? Yeah, Trailblazers drafted him. Yeah. Supersonics at that point drafted. Oh, yeah. He, has, he didn't even play seven years. He played parts of three seasons in the NBA. Hmm. Uh, he played in 08, 09, 09, 10, and then 13, 14. What was the most number of games he played in one season? 51. That's I mean, that's like three-fourths of the season. That's pretty... Yeah, he started 39 of those games. That was his rookie... Well, he, he sat out his rookie year. This was his second year. He, had, he averaged 8.9 points per game, seven rebounds. And then the next year, he did a little better, but he only played 21 games. He was 10 points, eight and a half rebounds, and then he got hurt. 
So he was um, more microfracture surgeries of his knees. So like mm. his, he just had very bad injury um, kind of un underlying injuries that probably just being so tall and, and just genetic kind of issues maybe. Um, but yeah, unfortunately he had to, uh, he missed, you know, multiple seasons. He had other knee injuries as well. And he ended up playing a little bit in China uh, at the end of his career. So, Any idea what he's doing now? Um, so he, Thad Mata was the uh, basketball coach at Ohio State. He is now also the basketball coach. And Greg Oden joined Thad Mata's staff as both director of basketball operations. Oh. Well, that's cool anyway. So he's still involved he's in just, basketball. He's just not, not playing himself anyway, right? Yeah. He... So were you, were you um, more surprised by, I mean, anything in the draft than, say, one of the top players in college um, from the last several seasons going completely undrafted in um, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga? Yeah, it's one of those things where you think, well, he's probably going to at least get drafted in the second round. But I'm a little surprised. I guess he is not seen as terribly athletic, but he was a, a very solid player on one of the best teams, you know, he in 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 college basketball the last three seasons, four seasons. And I don't I, I'm I'm surprised that he didn't get drafted, but it's one of those things like sometimes you think uh in the NFL if you're an, you'd rather be an undrafted free agent than a seventh, than a seventh round pick. Yeah. Maybe you'd rather be an undrafted free agent than a second round pick because you can pick who you want to go to. It. Timmy has signed Bucks. Maybe he could see potentially backing up uh, uh, Giannis in the future. I don't know. Because um, yeah. players haven't had a lot of um, NBA success, have they? Was that have what? Have they had a lot of NBA? The Gonz success? Oh, the Gonzaga. Just Gonzaga yeah. players in general? Yeah. I think a few have done all right. I think when we just kind of passed through that, uh, the last several drafts, the last, you know, from the last 20 couple of years. 20 oh, yeah, uh, Sabonis. Sabonis there were a, there were a couple successful. that popped up, at least, anyway. That... Monty Turioff had some good seasons. Yeah. Probably one of the most famous, probably the most famous player from... Um, Gonzaga as a as a player was was uh, Adam Morrison. You remember him with the mustache, right? He, he, was, had, a, he had a decent NBA career. He was co-player of the year with JJ Redick uh, that year. He played five years in the NBA. He played won two championships with the Lakers. Yeah, that, that's where that's where you could say. I don't think he really played very much with the Lakers. No, he, he yeah he averaged. Two about two points a game, yeah. Lakers over two years, so um, yeah. He started out with the with the I believe 
I don't know if they were the Hornets then or the Bobcats then. Hmm. Um, but Charlotte. Charlotte, I think they were the Bobcats. But um, it's, yeah, so, so I guess the poster child for Gonzaga, uh, kind of white guys from Gonzaga. Uh, yeah. Not do, do you think that maybe maybe that actually dragged um, Timmy out of the draft because of that? So people remember that. Maybe I that's I don't know. I think that's possible. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, you know you have. Yeah, I don't. You know there have been some. Oh, I guess the most famous uh, Gonzaga basketball player by far is John Stockton. I forgot he went to Gonzaga, but yeah, that was before back the. Yeah. Before the before the NCAA tournament kind of regular uh, Mark Few era uh, Gonzaga, so, uh, Jalen Suggs, just, um, Jeremy Pargo, you know, a few kind of um, uh, Kelly Olnick, I guess, is is uh, still in the NBA. He's had a decent uh, uh, career. Uh, he played. Uh, for Gonzaga as well, so like you know, he's, uh, but anyway, they haven't had a lot of uh, success, and maybe that's why. But yeah, I would, I would, I was surprised that Timmy didn't get there. But anything else surprising from the draft, or not nope. that I, I don't, I, yeah. Do you have any, any, any other further insights? Should we move to the uh, NFL then? Um, yeah. Probably the most notable story of the past week was just happened today was the tragic uh, death of Ryan Mallett, former um, New England Patriots quarterback, uh, Houston Texans quarterback, also famously probably the best known for his Arkansas Razorbacks um, college career. He was uh, really on one of the last uh, excellent uh, Arkansas teams uh, that was uh, he, he drowned in, in off the coast of Florida, which is having a, a rash of riptides and very rough and uh, not so good surf uh, conditions that everybody should probably stay away from the shore, or at least uh, away from the water that's more than maybe old. But um, he, I remember him uh, as a Razorback player during the short-lived but very successful, I guess we could say it was like a, uh, you know, uh, was the Bobby Petrino era he was really a meteor, Bobby Petrino, for the Razorbacks. He, uh, you know, was a shooting star. He was so good for such a short time, and he really flamed out at the end with his uh, motorcycle accident that with his mistress slash um, assistant that he had hired uh, on 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 back of the motorcycle or something. Uh, do you remember uh, Bobby Petrino's press conference that he gave soon after? his motorcycle accident that is anytime the name bob petrino comes up that is what is pictured in my head is him in the neck brace bruised face talking to the media about what he had done and trying to be apologetic it's yeah one of the most ridiculous media moments maybe ever really (laughs) that is that is like what i picture every time i hear his name that is what i picture should never have happened (laughs) I don't know why why he wanted to go on TV at that time or what what uh you know yeah. this person told him he should be on television but uh that was crazy and yeah Ar- Arkansas that year that was the year after Mallet had um uh gone to the NFL 
So did, did, did that overlap with with your tenure at Arkansas? Were you there, Jerry? No, it was about ten years after. That was, after after, right? that was much. I was you, there. Were, you were long gone, right? Is that? Yeah, that was uh, the top. Yeah, so this was the they they got in the top. They finished the top five in the country that year. Tyler Wilson was the quarterback that year after, and Tyler Wilson was drafted by the uh, Raiders in the fourth round. He never uh, really uh, did much in the NFL. He played a little bit, but um, he was the 2011 and 2012 starting quarterbacks and both those um uh teams were 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 pretty good um but yeah it was a, it was in april 2012 would have been done with graduate school by then yeah i was done with yeah i was i actually had been i was married at that point um and living in kansas city oh okay and you multiple Salem, cities passed when you're 29 20 yeah 2009 to well, I guess 2012. I got my PhD in 2012. Uh, I didn't finish my dissertation until then, so I was still technically a grad student and working on my dissertation. But I was living in Kansas City and teaching, but yeah, so I remember going down to Fayetteville and staying uh, in a hotel comfortable uh, that the Ryan Mallett played in. Arkansas lost to Ohio State that game, hmm. but uh, the years, couple years after, that's when the Petrino. Uh, incident uh, happened. There's a highway uh, crash um, uh, with Bobby Petrino riding his motorcycle, and soon after it became. Uh, it was supposedly Bobby Petrino was alone on the motorcycle when he crashed. That was what started, and then it became clear that he wasn't alone, and he was uh, with this young staffer, less than half his age, uh, and she was a former volleyball player who had been given this position as a football kind of um, assistant uh, to hire her. Uh, and he um, had circumvented affirmative action guidelines and other, all sorts of things in hiring her. And he was... Um, assistant to the regional manager, would you say? Yeah, essentially, yeah, she was a football, some sort of football a liaison type of person. Right. And... Um, so he ended up getting fired. His the special teams coach, John L. Smith, became the coach. He only lasted a year. Then Bobby Brett Bielema became the coach. Didn't do so well. And then we've had a Chad Smith. And then I think it was Chad Smith, Chad somebody. And then uh, currently Sam Pittman. But um, Bob Petrino famously, do you remember what happened when he went to Arkansas to coach? Do you, know, do you remember the circumstances of that? And that was another infamous oh. example in the Bobby Petrino story. Was he like bailed on some other school? Didn't he? Was that or no an NFL team? He was the Atlanta Falcons. He quit like three games left with three games left in the yeah, season. During the season, he's like, I'm out and just like leaves, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. See, everything has been just replaced with the uh the the image of the neck brace. And then that's just that is Bobby Petrino. It's just that moment. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm just reading right now. Petrino's coached 13 games. It's tied for the third shortest non interim coaching tenure in NFL history after two famous college coaches, both national championship winners. Yeah. Uh, so who we know one of them, I think. Who's the who had the short one of the shortest? Uh, uh, coaching tenures in the NFL, NFL history uh, very recently. 
Oh yeah, recently, yes. Um, but yeah, what was Saban though? Was he really Saban lasted about two seasons for Miami? Two years, okay. This was the yeah. one where he, this was an this was same state, but it was a more infamous departure. Right. This was a uh, oh, what is his name? It was the Florida Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of Adam Drummond. Ur- Ur- Urban Urban Meyer. Urban yeah. Meyer. Yes. Urban Meyer. Um, and the other one was actually a coach at the University of Arkansas back in the 1970s. Hmm. Um, and uh, he actually uh, coached, at, he also would leave the NFL to coach Arkansas uh, in 1977. He was the Jets coach at that point. This was Lou Holtz, uh, famous, oh. probably most famous as Notre Dame's coach, and yeah. also famous, at least in my mind, as looking just like Irene Ryan, a.k.a. Granny, from the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, You've never you... seen them in the same place at the same time. <laughs> I've never seen Irene, Irene Ryan, I think, died on stage, or very close to being on stage in a performance of Pippin, the Broadway musical, set during the time of Charlemagne, uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but Lou Holtz, I believe, is still alive. Um, yeah, I think he's still an animal. Isn't he a very, isn't he? I mean, he's become like a super Trumpy type of person. Oh, the early 70s. So 1973 is when Irene Ryan died. Um, soon after, and, and it was soon after that that Lou Holtz's career took off. So maybe they were uh, the same person. But um, Yeah, so in 1972, Brian starred in the Bob Fosse directed musical Pippin, which she sang, uh, but then she died. Uh, she actually, yes, she was, Irene Ryan was a lifetime heavy smoker. Yeah. Wrote like a chimney. She only had uh, a stroke during Stroke during Pippin. That's it. She didn't die during Pippin. She had a stroke. Two months during... later, a month and a half yeah. later that she didn't yeah. die. Though. But yeah, you know, my, my, my story is essentially correct. That's, that's awfully close. Yeah. Or something that happened before you were born. Yeah. You know that. That's, you know, that's pretty. Well, that's also my, uh, my ex. No, I knew that because of my ex wife who I traveled down to Arkansas to see the uh, Sugar Bowl. She was a a very, and still is a, a, Elizabeth is still a very um, uh, much a fan, devotee of the theater and Broadway and things like that. So she knows all all those facts. So that's that's where I learned. Uh, there is. I listened to the cast recording of Pippin in the seventies, and uh, Irene Ryan does sing a song. It's uh, the most famous star of Pippin of the seventies was Ben Vereen. Uh, I don't know if you remember Ben Vereen. Uh, he was a sure. You were... <laughs> you're telling me that Pippin is not a musical about bulls. Scotty Pippin, no. It's about uh, one of Charlemagne's sons, Pepin. Um, hmm. But Ben Vereen, probably most famous. He's a dancer, and um, he was actually, I remember from on TV as Webster's real father, who Mm. tried to uh, take Webster back from Mam and George uh, Papadopoulos. Uh, yes, Alex Karras, NBA NFL uh, player, famously known as Mo- as Mongo as well in Blazing <laughs> Saddles, uh, was uh, the, the father punching out horses. Yes, 
Mongo only pawn in Game of Life or whatever it was. Like, wasn't the right? Wasn't that? Yes. Um, he was also uh, yeah. So Ben Reams also in Roots. He was the uh, uh, um, he was also uh, Jordy LaForge's father in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Good so also LeVar Burton, who was also in Roots. Um, but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's Ben Vereen. We don't need to talk about Ben Vereen. But going back to Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz, I believe, came became a a very outspoken um, right wing Trump person, who also may the, or may not be Irene Ryan. Who also may or may not be Irene Ryan. Yeah, um, we don't know for but, sure. But yeah, no, he. But then, yeah, famously, he coached at Arkansas, then went to Minnesota for a little while, then Notre Dame. His most famous, and then he coached at South Carolina uh, for a little while. I think before uh, Steve Spurrier uh, became the South Carolina coach. Also, someone who had a very short-lived NFL coaching career after a solid college coaching career. Like, and we, we talked earlier about how college coaches do not you tend to do very well in the NFL, right? And even those legendary kind of college coaches do not do well usually. In the because as you mentioned, though, like yeah, college coaching is maybe more about motivating and recruiting then, right? Those mm-hmm. are the the two. It's like the uh, it's the it's a personality driven coaching job rather than like maybe more of a you know X's and O's type would be in the in the NFL, right? Yes, yes. Um, I I have just a few before we wrap up. We should probably uh, wrap up soon. I have I have a few brief snippets of um nfl stories that i want you to maybe comment on sure um do you do you know uh philadelphia eagles practice squad player devon allen have you heard his no name? obviously i know all about him uh devon allen he uh finished um in he ran uh he ran the fourth fastest 110 meter high hurdles race in international track and field this year. Uh, so he is a, he is perhaps a, you know, an Olympic threat at some point uh, in the 110 meter hurdles. Do you think if Allen were to play in the NFL uh, on the Eagles regular squad, would he be that, would he be faster, the fastest player in the NFL or is Tyree kill? Do you think uh, probably still Ooh. faster? I mean, or you could also add perhaps Kansas City Chiefs practice or signee uh, John Ross, who ran the fastest uh, NFL Combine forty meter dash, forty yard forty yard dash ever. He was four point two three or something like that. Yeah, he was four point two eight or nine, so even faster than Tyreek. So if, if I'm saying if we're going to line all three of them up, who would run? Who would have the fastest forty? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Ra, I'll say, I'll say Ross. How about you? 40, yeah, I'd say if it was the fastest 20 or something like yeah. that, that would be Tyreek Hill because I yeah. think he is the quickest in from, z- from zero to go. Seems to yeah. be. Uh, Devon Allen, maybe it's Devon Allen. I've never heard, I haven't heard his name pronounced. Um, he's a white guy, which is. Hmm, that's surprising. Not what I expected when you just even from by name. Devin. Or, maybe he's maybe I guess he's probably Devin, I would guess, probably, right? Um uh, he were African American, I would say he's probably Devon. It's D E V O N. So uh 
I haven't seen a pronunciation anymore. Um, don't know. He's 27, um, but he was. Um, oh, that's really old. That practice squad. I just assumed he was a rookie. 27. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he he played briefly at the University of Oregon, and then he was on the track. Oregon's one of the big track schools. He's twenty eight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another big track schools. Arkansas is one of the famous uh, track and field programs of uh, uh, of the college world as well. But um, so Allen is perhaps faster than Tyreek. I don't know. I would say, yeah. I uh, Allen says he could run a four point one. I I read an article uh, uh, somewhere, but. Yeah, he's still he's on the practice squad. According to one thing, he ran a four point three five forty at the pro day. So maybe again, it's forty yard dash time is, is is about a start and being really, I guess, getting up to top speed very quickly. Yeah, and I think sprinters usually they want they don't necessarily get up. To top, they want to be able to maintain that top speed as long as they can. Yeah, and so maybe getting up to it wouldn't be as so like so Tyreek, I would say yeah, the 20, if the shorter the distance, the the better he'll yeah. he was he gets when he's once he gets up the top speed, he's really fast too. Um yeah. maybe John Ross might win the 40, but I think Hill is a faster like on the football. If you, if you have an obstacle that somebody has to jump over, then yeah. If yeah. they were wearing football uniforms, I would say Tyreek Hill would be the fastest. Yeah. Uh, and if they were wearing track clothes, I don't any I I, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of of uh, fast or wide receivers, uh, Devontae Adams uh, recently had his assault charge dropped. You might remember uh, Adams um, after the Chiefs beat the Raiders in a huge comeback fashion in Kansas City. Adams, while he was walking toward him, uh, still on the field, pushed over some uh, media guy, and apparently uh, charges were uh, pending. Uh, in that, I guess this is this is I guess these are assault charges, criminal assault. So there's two different kinds of assault. You have, you can have mm. a civil assault uh, court challenge, uh, where you can be taken to court and sued for your, and that would and, and what uh, and it wouldn't be what we would call assault. It would be battery. I think oftentimes we miss we be misconstrue assault versus battery right uh, battery is the actual touching and pushing uh, assault generally is in criminal law attempted battery or it's making somebody feel like a, there is going to be a battery or there, there's some sort of uh, harmful or offensive touching that's going to happen um, although in new york state and this is probably where the confusion comes uh, i remember they used to, at least they used to have this. I don't know if they still do. They have a, what uh, instead of assault and battery together, they have um, the battery is assault, and the assault part is simply called attempted assault. And so, really? if you're successful with attempted assault, you become guilty of assault. But in other states, I think assault and battery usually. So you can be battered without being assaulted if you aren't aware of what's going to happen. <laughs> you can also be assaulted without being better but so i so in the tort world and even i would say in the criminal world 
in most states, at least the majority of states, what what Adams did was a pure battery. It wasn't an assault because I don't think because it was it happened so quickly. I don't think anybody was. I don't think the uh, media was about to be had a time to react uh, to what it was. So that's what that was my that was that was my beef with calling it uh, assault. But it says something in Missouri. I don't know the Missouri laws. I'm taking the I'm taking the bar exam in July, um, and the bar exam covers multi state kind of typical. Yeah, so I don't know if Missouri is specifically. Um, was the charge? The charge was settled, or was it uh, just dropped? So this case, uh, the prosecutor just missed the misdemeanor charge. It says assault, but I don't know if that's going to be true. Yeah. Um, and the civil case remains pending, so there's no criminal charge. So this is could still be an assault. I would imagine. Uh, that the guy who was pushed, his name is Ryan Zebley, will probably just charge, will probably try to get assault and battery. Simply, you just want to throw everything out there and hope sure. and see what sticks. Um, judging from what I watched, I didn't see an assault. I just saw that. And um, I didn't see, I didn't see a reaction before um, what happened, but you, sometimes they just go together. So that's, will, that's will, will the will the uh, dismissal of the the criminal charge affect the civil case at all, or is that does it? It could it, it could be used, but it it, it doesn't um it, it doesn't release him from liability. That it would be something that like it's sort of like the O.J. Simpson trial. He was acquitted right. of murder, but was still found guilty of um violating civil rights or you know some sort of civil crime tort crime um yeah against nicole brown so it would be the same thing but what um, i mean you don't you don't need the criminal charge to no and it's not go and, after and, the uh civil yeah. Suit. Yeah. and it's not considered to be double jeopardy or anything like that if you are charged in um civil criminal court then civil court um, yeah it's only criminal twice in a criminal court or or perhaps after the civil court has been um adjudicated but yeah, so that was uh, that was Devonte Adams. I I don't you remember that scene? I don't know if you uh, had any other hmm. comment. Oh, so so Zedley is suing Adams, the Raiders, and the Chiefs among others over the incident. Oh, so, again, you want to throw you want to just throw it to everybody, uh, and the idea would be that um, the Chiefs did not prof- uh, provide enough security. Adams was working for the Raiders, and therefore the Raiders are vicariously liable for Adams's actions. Although usually, 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 you aren't going to be able to sue the or the um, uh, the organization they work for because this is what we would call an intentional tort, and you're not liable for usually for intentional torts caused by your employees, unless they're like a you know a security guard or. A, or something like that somebody whose job it is to like push people out of the way or or hustle people off so uh that's part of their job so football players push each other on the field but it's not their job to push other people around so i would say i don't think the raiders i don't think the charge against the raiders should stay but maybe, maybe you could say against adams possibly the chiefs if you think that there was not enough um i don't know security or something yeah uh, or maybe against the network he was working for or the uh, newspaper or whatever he was working for. Right. But yeah, I, don't I know. think I would say the only real possible person 
you could sue is against is Adams himself because he's. You would think that makes. And I would say it's outside his duties as a football player that he did the thing. So the assault. And my um, that was really what I wanted to talk about. There was a um, an incident involving. Um, Fortunately, we did not have uh, two form, two NFL players die uh, uh, yet, uh, earlier today. Leonard Fournette's car uh, caught on fire. Did you hear about this? His, uh, I saw a headline. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't look into it though. Yeah, it's pretty bad if you look on the TMZ. Uh, really? He had an SUV, uh, also in Florida. He was driving uh, on I two seventy five in Tampa, and his uh, fire started to a mechanical issue. And uh, he uh, drove a Dodge Durango uh, that was burnt to a crisp, basically. Wow. It melted. It, it, the fire melted through, like it melted the windshield. Wow. Uh, so yeah. he, he noticed it and realized something was wrong, pulled over, got out of the car, and the car just burned. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. Just, I just saw that he, he said, I saw the headlines of the like, he escaped injury. Yeah, no, the car, uh, yeah, the car just caught on fire. Wow. And yeah, he's worth about a hundred thousand, ninety to a hundred thousand dollars. Fournette is not uh he hasn't signed with an NFL. He seems like a lot of the like very solid running backs, Dalvin Cook, he's a Galelia, veteran running backs are not signing with anyone because NFL teams either want you know very cheap veterans or young players, and there's no kind yeah. of middle ground. Um right. Saquon Bark was having a hard time, you know, signing his contract. So, like, it's the maybe the dying um, days of running back. The, we've seen the fullback kind of go away. Maybe the high-priced running back is going to go away. I've heard arguments that the NFL maybe should um, institute different rookie salary scales for running backs because they're, they become so good early and then they're run to death right. and then cast aside when they when they want a contract. Um, I, I don't, I don't, you think that would be a, a ec- sort of equitable kind of thing to do? It or would that like just lead to, to not drafting running backs in the draft? Yeah. It seems like they're going to have to do something to sort of like even out the responsibility to pay difference for that position, at least anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, it is, it's, it's really crazy how they, that particular player set gets sort of, yeah, bears a lot of the burden of the the team's success, or at least responsibility for the like the percentage of plays that r- are run by a running back anyway, right? And then they don't have the chance to like have long careers anyway. That's yeah. You don't you don't like you know like Adrian Peterson. I guess Derrick Henry maybe is the one of the last ones, but you know yeah, the running back career is so short. Todd Gurley was uh you know injury cut his career short. Ezekiel Elliott was. One of the top players a couple of years ago. It seems like he's not. Alvin Cook was still on the top of his game, and he's been uh, pushed aside. I guess Christian McCaffrey is maybe some of those du- more dual threat kind of guys are being kept more. Mm. But um, but they have like different. Have, they have a different sort of value set than yeah. pure running back anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you have to wonder what you know because this is Edward Edward Zelaire, probably his last year with the Chiefs. Is he going to be able to sign anywhere else? Um, Leonard Fournette has been more successful than Clyde has, but he still hasn't found a job. Um, and he's not, yeah, he's not like a super dynamic runner, though. He's pretty much head down, straight ahead. 
type of player, right? Well, he was the best. He had some a couple of really big seasons after leaving the Jaguars with uh, uh, Tampa, and he was he became by the end of the Tampa, he was the essentially the Super Bowl uh, winning. Uh, running back in the Super Bowl season and had some decent years after. But, yeah, he hasn't had – he's only averaged four yards a carry through his career. He yeah. has become a decent receiving back, though. He had um, 670, 668 yards rushing last year, 523 yards receiving. So that's quite a few for a month. Yeah. Yeah, and so 73 receptions this past year, 69. He's had over 70 – he's had about 70-ish receptions uh, three out of the last four years. And the other year he won the Super Bowl when he kind of transitioned into the role. So like he's been a, a productive running back, even if he's not been necessarily the top, top tier. And so like it makes you also kind of wonder, well, what's going to happen to Isaiah Pacheco in a couple of years? We think of him as the kind of new guy on the block, but is he you know gonna last? He made it more of a receiver almost than a pure running back anyway. And he and he he runs with that such bruising style. You think is his career going to be that long? Yeah, but, you know, Jarek McKinnon has managed to have a pretty long career, even though he had injuries uh, in the middle of his career uh, that kept him from really being productive with San Francisco or things like that. So it's you know we'll keep an eye on, on things like that when we talk about um, the upcoming NFL season. But that's all I have really for the for for NFL tidbit news the chiefs haven't really done a whole lot uh to keep things um what they sold out their germany game very quickly oh yeah they sold that out 15 minutes more than a million people tried to buy tickets yeah but i mean yeah. these are really chief stories or stories that involve or 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 what about the uh if, if i said a uh, chiefs player won a chess tournament would you which player would you guess it would be historically you would say priest holmes priest holmes was known for his chess prowess I think Joe Posnanski wrote many, many articles, many, many <laughs> columns about Priest Holmes playing chess with really? Joe Posnanski because Joe Posnanski's dad uh, was a chess guy because he was old and Eastern European. Um, but I don't. Let's. I would. I would guess if I had to, it would be maybe a maybe an offensive lineman. You think of those guys just being uh, pretty. Maybe Nick Allegretti or somebody like that. Mm, not an offensive lineman. No. Actually, on the defensive side. Defensive side? Maybe yeah, maybe just say, like, what position set do you think this player came from? Of If, if I tell you he's a defensive player. Yeah, I would say possibly, maybe Justin Reed. You know, he's uh, seen as a kind of, uh, he went to Stanford, smart guy. Uh, extra point kicker. No, um, I disagree. I don't. I wouldn't say it's a defensive line unless Carl Aftis maybe played chess uh, in Greece. Um, Tom Bahali, I would have guessed, was probably a pretty good chess player. Uh, but it must be. A, I, I would. Is it maybe one of the linebackers? Is it a linebacker? And in a newcomer. A newcomer. Okay, I think. Okay, so coming from the Chargers, Drew Tranquil. That's my guess. That's it. Chess champion Drew Tranquil. We talked about Drew's name, D R U E, earlier. Uh, who did he uh, beat in this tournament? Oh, and that I don't know. And I think the article that was that was uh, 
on Arrowhead Pride like today or yesterday. Yesterday, I guess. Well, now yesterday. Oh, he played. It was um, Blitz Champs Two with so current, and, current and former players. players. Okay, so he beat Larry, Fitzger- Larry Fitzgerald, Eric Armstead, Kyler Murray was part of it. I guess it was sort of video gamey. So of course, Kyler Murray is going to be part of that. Um, interesting. He beat, defeated New York Jets offensive guard Wes Schweitzer, Jets linebacker Chaz Surratt, and then ooh, Chidobe Awuzie uh, was also in, a, in the final oh. match. So last year's champion was Awuzie, uh, Cincinnati quarterback. The Chiefs asserting their dominance over the Bengals okay. once again, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Awuzie. Um, Drafted by the Cowboys. And I'm trying to look up his background, Ouzier. Um Son of Nigerian immigrants. So, usually, he's probably, his parents are probably, he lived in, lived in Northern California, so his parents were probably kind of, you know, well-to-do doctor, lawyer types. Uh, so, you know, that may be a chess. And also from Northern California, maybe maybe chess background. But it's interesting that they, and congratulations to Drew Tranquil, uh, the NFL's finest chess player, at least among recently active and currently active. Barely. Yeah, he went to Notre Dame. Uh, so, smart guy, it looks like. Um. We used to play chess. You and I, you, uh, you uh, uh, became uh, 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 you. You bested me on more occasions than than, than I, I beat you. Especially you, you, you practicing more and, and becoming reading up on it and becoming a, a better player. Um, do you have you played chess at all Ooh. recently? Yeah, it's been a while now. Yeah, I haven't done much either. Um, so yeah. maybe we'll, maybe maybe next time we see each other, we can play. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see who who's better now. <laughs> I don't pay attention long enough now. It's hard. Yeah, I, I I lose focus and I make a dumb move or I don't see a good move. But um, so nothing's changed. You saying? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, good moves, maybe we should uh, move to uh, close this week's episode of our show. We've, we talked a lot. Again, we always think we're going to have a short program. We end up, we end up gabbing. Uh, longer about uh, sort of tangential topics, which I think is what makes One Trick Power Hour the finest um, podcast slash YouTube channel on sporting-related issues uh, currently available anywhere uh, that you can find. And um, we'll, 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 we'll be back again next week with another exciting 4th of July type of episode um but until then i am dr michael Werman. he is dr Andrew Skeff. we are the one track power hour please like and subscribe to our podcast or youtube channel and uh best of luck uh to your uh major league baseball teams and whoever's competing this week whether maybe maybe you're watching uh uh devin allen in the uh most uh, in the in the next uh, track meet in I don't know where, it's, where the next big track meet is going to be in Gothenburg, Sweden or 
Madrid or someplace like that. That's where, that's where the, it seems like Europe is where the, is where the big, big meets are in the summer. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll re reconvene next week and we'll talk more about the um, Major League Baseball draft, especially and whatever else uh, becomes a, a big issue in the world of sports or a small issue in the world of sports. And until then, we wish you good day.